What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Wise Guys Hideaway with me, Ian Barr, and today I'm going to be talking about none other than Bonnie and Clyde, so let's get it underway here. That's right. That's uh, Lords of Brooklyn, uh, where the gangsters go when they die, are like a fire. It's better known as. Uh, I really hope I don't get booted or sued for using that shit, but I really dig that style. I dig what it sounded like, and I'd like to use it as my intro. So, Lords of Brooklyn, if you're still out there doing your thing, shout out to you. Hit me up. I'll gladly give you royalties once they actually start paying me for this shit. Uh, I gotta give a big shout out to Our Thing Clothing Apparel, you know, uh, the original Gangster Podcast, just, you know, all the guys in the groups on Facebook, everybody out there doing their thing, I hope you're staying safe, uh, I apologize to everybody who uh, enjoys watching me on YouTube, I'm having a hard time with the whole camera setup, I was using two separate phones, you know, Kevin Gates and it, two phones, to uh, film the episode in sync as I did it, you know, via podcast, but, uh, the one phone just, I mean, it's not worth a fuck. So I'm going to have to get some sort of, you know, camera or laptop or something here soon. So I apologize for everybody who uh, is looking forward to viewing this on YouTube and watching my sporadic outlandish movements. You will not be doing that on this episode. But anyway, uh, let's get down to brass tacks here. I'm going to be talking about uh, Bonnie and Clyde, uh, but primarily Bonnie Parker because I promised my sister I'd start throwing some female gangsters in here to wise guys hideaway because they are not I mean they're they're just as brutish and thuggish as any of the men so so let's get after it now when it comes to bonnie parker uh she was born october 1st 1910 in rowena texas and uh she would leave this world on may 23rd 1934 in uh giblin louisiana so i mean a, a real quick quick spent 24 years here and clyde barrow was only 25 uh, her final resting place would be the Crown Hill Memorial Park in Dallas, Texas. Um, she would actually, Clyde wouldn't be like her undevout love. She was married before him, which we'll get into. And uh, I mean, her father, uh, Charles Parker, and her mother, Emma Parker, they had a total of four children, or they had a total of three children, excuse me. Bonnie was the second of uh, three. And uh, she lost her father really young. He was a, he was a bricklayer, but he passed in 1914 just due to, you know, just a rough life back then, you know what I mean, especially as a bricklayer. And uh, she was moved around a lot from slum to slum in Texas and always really had, like, I don't know, like ideations of ending up, you know, in film or, or something along those lines, maybe even theater. She wrote a lot of poetry. She read a lot. She was very into the fine arts in life, uh, this gal. And so, I mean... From the time she started seeing her name, you know, in lights, whether it be for a movie or whether it be for murder, it, it didn't seem to matter to her. It just seemed to click. Clyde Barrow, on the other hand, he's a little more... I'm not really going to delve into Clyde on this episode. He'll get his own. So I'm not going to do his birthday or any of that shit. But he uh, he sort of just was kind of like a yes, Jenna type of, type of motherfucker. You know what I mean? Like think of Forrest Gump and just how like he would go to the ends of the earth for Jenny. That's more or less what Clyde Barrow would do. He, I mean, he was a petty, uh, petty criminal. I mean, almost all of his life, his family ran a, a mechanics station, 
slash gas station, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they, they fix cars, more or less, in Texas. And, I mean, the Dust Bowl did everybody dirty, man. I mean, FDR comes in. I mean, we got a depression, balls deep on our hands. Uh, prohibitions sort of just, I mean, off the rails, bootleggings going crazy. And, I mean, it's, it's a ripe country for crime at this period in time. Now, the reason Bonnie and Clyde will probably go down as the most infamous uh, from that period, as far as unorganized criminals go, because, I mean, obviously, you've got to give it up to, like, a Al Capone or a Luciano or something like that. But as far as, like, all of America knows who Bonnie and Clyde is. I mean, they've been adapted to film and TV series and, I mean, books. I mean, you name it. I mean, probably their most pivotal adaption, adaptation to me would be uh, Natural Born Killers, which is sort of half based off of a few couples that went on a murder spree, but like that uh, that ride-or-die chick, or that ride-or-die dude, whatever you, I mean, from whatever angle you're sitting at, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of the start of that. Like, uh, I, I think the proper term for them are dyads, which is, it's pretty much just like a perfect storm of two people. You know, uh, the Bonnie and Clydes, the, uh, the bank robbers in the North Hollywood shootout in 97, uh, the Columbine shooters. I mean, anybody to where they, they team up with another individual and because of that, they're able to, you know, commit either hyenas acts or, I mean, just daring acts, uh, you know, with one another. Bonnie, neither Bonnie or Clyde was, you know, that special. Bonnie would have probably ended up, uh, a failed actress. Uh, she might have actually killed one of her husbands if she kept get married and hadn't met Clyde. And, uh, and I think Clyde would have ended up a petty criminal until they finally slapped him with a long enough sentence that it stuck him in a penitentiary for the rest of his days. I mean, you know, it is what it is. Now, early on, Bonnie not only loved the idea of her name in lights, but she also loved the idea of love. I'll give her that. Uh, the girl definitely wanted to be loved, but she was also definitely borderline schizophrenic. Uh, she would just bounce, her personality would just jump, you know, between a sweet, like, really kind, almost, you know, shy young girl from Texas to a gangster. I mean, she would just flip-flop right over to a gangster, you know? Like, after, I mean, after they committed their first murder, it seemed like blood, or, yeah, blood was, you know, just a way of doing business for her. She didn't really... She didn't really seem to have too much remorse for any of the things they'd done, nor did Clyde. I'm not sitting up, you know putting Clyde on a pestle, I'm just saying he's fucking stupid, and Bonnie was definitely more of the thinker between the two, uh, which is actually how she even ended up selling it as Bonnie and Clyde, for the longest time they had it as, you know, Clyde and Bonnie or the Barrow Gang, and she hated that, so she eventually did corner a reporter and let them know that, you know, she she was, quote unquote, the one in charge, it was Bonnie and Clyde, not Clyde and Bonnie. Uh, her second year of high school, she meets a another, you know, young, sort of nickel and dime criminal by the name of Roy Thornton. And I mean, almost instantly, the two kind of hit it off. They uh, they drop out, they run off, and on September twenty fifth, nineteen twenty six, uh, six days before Bonnie Parker's sixteenth birthday, the two uh, the two kind of elope and have a little marriage. Um, but that would all be, you know, that would eventually all fall apart, and they wouldn't, you know, they eventually would split up in uh, January of nineteen twenty nine. And, I mean, when Roy Thornton heard about Bonnie and Clyde being killed, he, he was quoted as saying he was sitting in prison for uh, robbery charges. He was quoted as saying, uh, good, I'm glad, you know, better that than being caught because, I mean, the two had gone on, on quite, a, quite a murder spree. Now, Bonnie doesn't really get started into, like, the criminal aspect on, until she meets Clyde. I mean, she kind of does. She hangs around with bad boys. She always kind of liked the, the bad boy image. 
and like the bad boy persona, but she never, um, she never really did much on her own. Clyde Barrow, on the other hand, was a run-of-the-mill criminal. Him and his brother, uh, him and his brother Buck, his older brother Buck, ran various schemes and scams, and uh, eventually he was locked up for car theft and burglary, and he would be released in uh, 1931. And the two would eventually make acquaintances at a, a just you know a regular mutual friend's house in Texas, and the pair would hit it off. Now, I mean, when they hit it off. I think both of them sort of went head over heels for Bonnie and Clyde. And, you know, it, I mean, it would be on January 5th, 1930 that Parker and Barrow would meet and they would be dead by 1934. So obviously they, they went into this thing fast and hard and it would be from 1931, um, till 1934 that multiple armed robberies throughout 11 states, uh, including Texas, Missouri, Oklahoma, Illinois, you know, all the Midwest and like down into the South. Uh, I mean, they would just go on a, a spree. They never, they, I mean, they did hit a couple banks, but they primarily robbed like, you know, uh, gas stations, antique stores, stuff like that. Stuff, I mean, stuff that you could pull off with a kind of a, I mean, they always kind of had a ragtag crew. There was uh, uh, W.D. Uh, Johnson, I believe his name was. I, I could be wrong on his last name. He, he palled around with them for a while. Uh, Buck and Blanche uh, Barrow, uh, Clyde's brother and sister-in-law, palled around with them for a while. And they had other sort of in and out type, you know, uh, gang members really but the two of them always always rode as a pair uh i mean they would eventually be gunned down on may 23rd 1934 obviously on a back road in uh, uh burville parish louisiana and i mean they i mean they made a movie of that in itself called the highwaymen with uh, kevin costner and uh, woody harrelson that was pretty was pretty good i mean pretty highly dramatized but still pretty good just like anything now <clears throat> there was a lot of mystique to Bonnie and Clyde, you know, uh, Bonnie loved photography as well. I mean, obviously she loved poems, she loved movies, she, you know, she just loved the fine arts. So photography was always a really big thing for her. And that's why there's so many pictures of Bonnie and Clyde during a robbery. I think she stole one of those old, you know, those old pop-up back in the day, you know, depression era cameras. And, uh, I mean, and she loved taking pictures and the one, one of the pictures that always stuck around for her was her. She got the sick shooter. She, she got the cigar in her mouth. She's looking real tough. And they publicized that over and over again. And she actually hated that one. She liked the one of her holding the sawed off shotgun to Clyde's stomach. And like, they're kind of like in a flirty way, the one where he's holding her up. But uh, another reason she started taking pictures is because early on into their crime spree, they only used her, I believe, freshman or sophomore high school photo. And they used one of his mug shots. Both looked really young anyway. But Bonnie particularly didn't like how she looked. She looked like a schoolgirl in those pictures. And she wanted everybody to know she wasn't. But eventually, after one kidnapping, uh, when they were letting the hostages go the next day, the one girl asked, uh, is there anything you want me to tell the papers? And Bonnie said, yeah, tell them I don't smoke those damn cigars. So <laughs> so obviously, she was never really a big, uh, you know, a big fan of that picture, nor did she smoke cigars. Um, towards the end of her life, she sort of was seen like uh, with, with a limp, if you will. And that was because during a, a botched robbery and I mean, shootout on June 10th in 1933, uh, the, the battery of the car uh, I just imploded and from the inside, she was sprayed with battery acid. I don't know if it would be, uh, been like a bullet hole in the battery or what. I mean, probably they were always, they were always getting into shootouts. Now they wouldn't start killing right away, but they did, they did hop to it. I mean, pretty regularly. They, uh, they killed, I mean, numerous people from, I mean, from a town marshal named Henry Humphrey and, uh, 
you know, in Alma, Arkansas. I mean, all the way to an individual by the name of H.D. Uh, Murphy and Ed Wheeler, who were their last kills on April 1st, 1934, Easter Sunday. The the pair were sort of just on the side of the road, uh, you know, doing, doing what it is criminals on the run do, just kind of lamming it. And uh, the two highway patrolmen pulled up on their motorcycles, approached the vehicle, and, I mean, there was a shootout. Uh, an eyewitness, a farmer in a field, uh, was reported as saying that uh, Parker was the one who got out of the car, walked up to the 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 wounded officers. I do believe one was already dead. I think uh, Murphy was already dead, and Wheeler was laying there, uh, grinding in pain. And Bonnie shot him point blank range in the face. And then uh, different variations of like film and TV have have taken this story, and I've read it in a handful of places, so I don't doubt that it's true. I'm, it might be mocked up a little bit, but she was reported as saying like, "Did you see how his head bounced, Clyde? It was just like a, a like a rubber band ball." And so, I mean, that was kind of like, I mean, that once that story got out, it sort of started to circulate that, you know, maybe these two are, you know, pretty sick and twisted and they need to be taken, taken down. Uh, Frank Hammer would be the Texas Ranger that was uh, actually given the task to take these two out. And he took it very seriously. Um, this is this is during the time when uh, Hoover will start up the FBI, not to get uh, <laughs> the actual organized crime members. Mind you, he said that that was a myth and that they didn't exist, but to hunt down individuals like John Dillinger, Bonnie and Clyde, you know, Pretty Boy Floyd, Machine Gun Kelly, uh, and all, the, all these people end up with an episode on the hideaway. I was just doing Bonnie Parker, like I said, as uh, I told my sister, I'd try to start throwing some more female perspective in on here. Uh, I mean, the, the gang went through two solid years, or I mean, I guess they estimated at 18 months of just intense robbery and shooting and murder throughout, like I said, uh, I do believe 11 states. I mean, in July of 1933, they checked into the Red Crown Tourist Court in uh, Plata City, Missouri, and by 11 p.m., they were in a shootout with highway patrolmen. I mean, there was a shootout in Texas on November 22nd, 1932. Um, eventually, on, in November 1933, uh, uh, November 28, 1933, actually, to be exact, uh, federal warrants were finally put out for them after all they had done. They're estimated to have killed nine people. Uh, I mean, the gang itself killed roughly 20 plus but bonnie and clyde are both to believed as a like a unit to have killed you know roughly nine people uh i mean and they and they robbed and robbed and pillaged you know all all throughout that midwest you know uh sort of east southern part of america uh i mean and they weren't alone this i mean this is around the same time the dillinger gang and everybody's you know running amok i mean they call it uh if you look at the documentary on youtube it's called 18 months of crime because, I mean, you got the mob just running, bootlegging, ransack, like, gambling dens, prostitution, all of it. I mean, the heroin, all of it. And then you got renegade gangs like the Dillinger clan, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, you know, all those people. Sort of just out, you know, running amok. <laughs> I mean, doing their own thing. Kind of willy-nilly. Because before the FBI, a lot of people don't know. Uh, before the Federal Bureau of Investigation, or the Forever Bothering Italians, depending on who you ask, uh, got started. It used to be like, let's say I robbed a bank in Michigan and I hightailed it to Indiana. I robbed a bank on the, you know, the west side of Michigan, you know, towards the Indiana uh, border. And I got into Indiana. I was no longer Michigan's problem. I was Indiana's problem. And then I could ransack Indiana on my, on my way through into Illinois, hit Illinois, and I'm good as far as Illinois is concerned. And a lot of, you know, there wasn't a lot of cooperation with the police departments, I mean, everybody's fucking starving to death. I mean, it's kind of like nowadays. The country was, you know, the country was in shambles. I mean, what are you going to do? And uh, so 
it was actually a really prime time for individuals like Bonnie and Clyde and John Dillinger and all them to sort of take control of the, I guess you call it the ran the random crime. You know, it's not random, not that mobsters and gangsters and shit didn't rob banks. But during this time period, it was more or less, you know, small time mobsters, very, you know, guys on their way up or, you know, country bumpkin crews like Dillinger's or, you know, like Bonnie and Clyde's that were that were taking down the banks and the public loved them for the first little bit. You know, the banks were fucking everybody and their, you know, and their brother, you know, three ways from Sunday. So, I mean, the way the general public looked at it, you know, until they, until they started catching a lot of bodies was, uh, you know, I mean, fuck them, who they really hurting? Uh, Bonnie and Clyde were always kind of romanticized because it was a couple, it was a young couple in love and um, America was kind of split between them. They definitely published more headlines than any of the other crews. Uh, and America was kind of split between them. It was like you either sort of relished in like the the whole mystery of them and the fact that they were a young couple and they were in love. And that even though that Bonnie Parker was found with Roy Thornton's uh, wedding ring still on her uh, after they had been shot. So I, they always tell the story like Bonnie and Clyde were so in love. And I do believe Clyde loved Bonnie. Like I said, I mean, like Forrest loved Jenny. But I, I don't know how much. I do believe Bonnie was infatuated with Clyde and liked the criminal lifestyle he was in. And she was sort of turned on by him or like intrigued by him. But I, I don't know if... I don't know if she ever loved him. That's just me. I'm not a I'm not a Bonnie and Clyde historian. I'm just a speculator. She just seemed to have a real narcissistic sort of view of everything. It had to be like how how she was perceived during all of it. The way she looked like they're on the run, they're sleeping in, you know, motels that they can manage to skis their way into and in, in their cars. And, you know, everybody's, you know, always getting shot at and wounded, and yet she's still insisting that she has to have the finest dress. I mean, her wardrobe was, forget about it, for a girl on, for a girl that came from nothing on the run, you know, from Texas, from the slums of Texas, she was living all right. Their arsenal was that, like, I mean, that, like, you've never seen for two people, really. I mean, they had military-grade weapons. They had, you know, cars that were faster than, you know, the police, uh, you know, the old four V8s. Only the gangsters could really buy those. I think Clyde would just, he would just steal V8s. He would, I mean, he would target out, you know, different V8 cars. And I mean, they just, they had a ball. They lived real fast, you know, died real young. Uh, I mean, I'd say die young, died young and pretty, but I mean, they, they got lit the fuck up and they had bullets riddled through their face and their body and their, but I mean, but there was an immense turnout after they killed Bonnie and Clyde when they, you know, when they finally rolled their bodies in to, uh, to Texas and I mean it it doesn't surprise me that these two have gone down uh with such I don't know I mean I guess with such like romantic like romantic uh knowing pleasures like everybody wants to like look back on Bonnie and Clyde like wow it was a different time and blah 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 I mean they were still just two murderous kids from Texas you know who eventually and unfortunately got what was coming to them. I think they both probably could have sought help had they not met each other. Like I said, that's the that's the whole dyad theory. You know, the perfect storm, two people come together and it and it allows both of them to commit hyenas acts, you know. Uh it would all I mean it would eventually all come crashing down though. And uh at nine fifteen AM on uh oh, what was the date again? One second. Oh. Yeah, at nine fifteen AM on May twenty third, nineteen thirty four. In uh in Giblin, Louisiana, on a back back road just a little outside of there, uh, Frank Hammer and then, uh, another series of you know rangers and uh, lawmen 
sort of set up shop along along this back road and as bonnie and clyde came approaching they they were alone in the car thankfully and uh i mean they just they they lit it up there was no warning there was no preamble there was no reading them their rights or not uh, over 130 rounds were fired uh barrel was struck in the throat and in the uh, side of his face instantly and he was instantly killed however a lot of people do report having heard parker scream uh bloody murder through through quite a bit of it she uh she actually took a while to die and, and suffered quite a bit um but i mean the ends justify the means because if if bonnie parker ever wanted anything that would be for us to still be talking about her here in 2020 um almost almost a full hundred years at you know after their crime spree and uh, i mean and we're doing that i mean during their time they sold half a million newspapers which doesn't sound like a much like much in today's numbers you know but back then that's a lot of fucking newspapers guys and people are broke people can't afford newspapers and they're buying them because of bonnie and clyde you know uh their car the actual ford that they were shot up in is in uh the whiskey pete's uh whiskey pete's casino in prim nevada and uh it's i mean it's been there since 2011 you can go out there anytime and you know see it i do believe that the barrow uh filling station the mechanic shop is sort of like a protected landmark i do believe you can drive by in texas and see that uh i think bonnie parker's childhood home is sort of looked after and it has a lot of tours i mean their whole them all across the map there are a lot of places where they robbed or they stayed or they you know same with dillinger same with all those um I mean, they're they're just glorified. Like we just we we keep it around because we love the history, we love the era. I do think black and white did a huge, you know, a huge favor for people living living, you know, crazy back then. Because today you see all the murder and stuff in color, and you're like, oh, that's awful. Back then you seen it in black and white. I mean, you, yeah, you can see somebody shot up, but it, I mean, it doesn't look that. You ever seen the Albert Anastasia barbershop photo, and he's laid out, and it's in black and white, it's fucking beautiful. Like it was remastered into color, and like, and someone like me still is like, oh, it's fucking beautiful. It's a glorious mob hit, but like. But I mean, it does bring a whole new element to it. You're like, oh, shit, yeah, that's a real person. And he really got lit the fuck up. And he's really dead, you know? So, but uh, that's all of us over for us over here at the hideaway. Uh, I just had to get a quick one out. It wasn't as long as I would have liked, but I got to get ready to get back on the road and go keep making sure that these uh, dummy devices, you know, our cell phones keep working. Uh, big shout out to Augusta Tower for uh, not firing me yet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I hope you guys stay safe. Uh, I hope we all get through this corona, this pandemic. Uh, all this systemic, you know, racism for the from the police. You know, NWA said it best. Fuck the police. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, you need them. You do need them. I mean, hey, like, I'm a, I'm an anarchist, but I'll be the first one to tell you it's not gonna work if we actually give it a shot. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, fuck the police, even though you need them. You know, and you know, even if you need them, fuck them. You know, what I mean, it's just life is just what it is, man. So I mean, you don't gotta listen to me. I'm just some asshole of the podcast. But uh. I definitely, if, I mean, if you listen in, if you're supporting, if you've been supporting me since the beginning, midway, just now, this is your first episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, for all, you know, for all the hardcore ones out there who keep listening to me, you know, through all of it. Um, very appreciative. Big shout outs to my partners in uh, Boston, Boston Rob, uh, Paulie G in New York, my boy David Brexpire in London, uh, you know, Gunnar Lindblom, Scott Bernstein, Al Prophet, uh, Ryan Leone out there in uh, Cali rehashing that Gonzo vision. You know what I'm saying? Big shout out to all those guys. Big shout out to you guys. And uh, I love you. Stay safe.